Today on the 1012 Podcast, myself, Andy, and Jamie are discussing the refing issue in the Big 12 after some questionable decisions in Baylor, Iowa State. Are Houston and Kansas the favorites moving forward? Plus, on the women's side, should Oklahoma be the favorite moving forward? J.J. Quinterly and her player of the year stock. Plus, we're talking about the Big 12 football schedule today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference Plus. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com. Don't forget, we've got somebody, we've got a show for every school currently in the Big 12, except for Oklahoma. And we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday we got a great show for you today, a fantastic show for you today. We waited a few days to finally talk about the Big 12 football schedule, but we have it for you today. That is coming up with Dean Straka of CBS News here in just a little bit. But before we get to that, my thoughts on it, some interesting and fun notes. we got to talk hoops. we got some Big 12 basketball to talk about, men's and women's. So joining me as they do every single Monday. Thank goodness, because they're carrying the load this week. I, I mean, not that that's any different from usual, but definitely today they are carrying the load. She is the vibe queen of the 1012 Network. She is JSJ. She is the woman who will be hosting a massive, <laughs> or I'm sorry, emceeing a massive alumni event for Iowa State University. She is Jamie Steyer Johnson. Yeah, uh, apparently. Hey, you know what? Uh, some of my greatest traits are... Um, being local and being available at the last second. So if that's what I've got going for me, uh, I will take it and I will take probably a, a good meal out of it. And uh, yeah, I, out of nowhere, here I am. I'll be hosting the, the, the Cardinal and Gold Gala this week. So I'll have, uh, I'll be occupied on the bye week, I guess. Look, there's a reason that they say availability is a Hall of Fame characteristic. That's me. Absolutely. Hall of Famer in, in having an open schedule. The stand-up uh, experience is going to come in real handy here. Oh, I've got I've got jokes. I've got pages. I'll whittle them down. Oh, boy. They won't know what hit them. Okay. Jamie, I'm going to ask this, and you can say no. Whatever jokes you don't use, I would like you to tell some of them here on the podcast. Or if you need to test some of the material before the event, I'd like you to do so here on the show for everyone listening. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to share them. I'm not shy, obviously. <laughs> I I never, <laughs> never been something we're worried about, Jamie. I'll 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 share I'll share the good ones. I'll share the really bad ones. If any of them really don't go over well, I'll I'll do them for you specifically. <laughs> Open book. Absolutely. We'll we'll have a recap. That that oh. that feels like it should be a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, we're we're gonna just. That's for everyone. I know. I was that joking. Everyone in the world should enjoy the uh, amazement that is Jamie doing stand up. Uh, that other voice you hear, because every podcast is someone's first, is the host of the Rock Shock podcast. Our uh, our resident KU Homer, Andy Mitz. Now wait a minute. I'm not that much of a Homer. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 
I'm just I'm just trying to serve our full audience. I've made the Iowa State fans happy. I have to make the That's Kansas fair. State fans That's happy. Fair. And I assume we have a few Kansas fans that listen to this podcast, but they don't interact with me on Twitter as much, so I'm not entirely sure. If they do, you're welcome to hit us up on Twitter at 1012network, in the number 12, the word network. You can leave a review. I would appreciate that. We haven't had one in a while. Uh, whether, Especially if you're on iTunes, that's where reviews do the most help. Otherwise, leave us five stars. We would greatly appreciate it. Um, like I said, we got the Big 12 football schedule thoughts coming up uh, here a little bit later in the show. Um, one thing we didn't address with that is Rivalry Weekend. We're not, there's no rivalry weekend in the Big 12 this year because it's supposed to be the last week of the regular season, right? And at this point, uh, Arizona-Arizona State is the only official Big 12 rivalry that is that weekend. Farmageddon is that weekend, but it is not a preserved rivalry in the Big 12, just to remind everybody, no matter how much we want it to be. By the way, Jamie Pollard blocked us on Twitter. Um, it's, not, I'm not, it's not even like a weird it, proud thing. I'm just like, time. I'm surprised it took this long right. as much as I have harped on Farmageddon. And I didn't, I don't know, it may have been a while. I just didn't look until somebody tagged him in a tweet one day and I, like recently, and I clicked on it and I went, oh, I'm blocked. <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's blocked us. No, no, it's funny because Wide Right Natty Light and I were talking in our Iowa State preview before last weekend's Iowa State game um, about how it's been 13 years and they hadn't been blocked yet. And then literally the next day after the episode drops, they're blocked. <laughs> so it was, it was awesome. Everyone that account is just going to like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, oh, Pollard. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Um, so I understand the viewpoints of rivalry games should be on that weekend. That's fine. I understand those who, uh, there's two primary veins of thought a is the five weekend you should put it on there i don't care what anyone says or does that's what you should do and there's the the reason that everyone believes they're doing this is you don't want to put a bunch of marquee matchups on the same weekend the last weekend of the regular season in which you're going to be going up against some rivalry games in the sec that are going to get preferential treatment from a tv standpoint and so you don't want to have your byu in utah cast off to espn you don't want to have when arizona arizona state is good cast off to ESPNU. You don't want to have Kansas, Kansas State, Sunflower Showdown cast off to FS1. Like you want to have an opportunity for more of these games by spreading them out through the season to have better opportunities to have better television. And you can believe that that's running scared. That's fine. I'm all for you protecting your pride and protecting your whatever you want to call it. But this is about business. This is about marketing. It's about brand building. Loading everything up onto one weekend doesn't do you much good anyways because it's not even just about not kowtowing to the to the SEC or the Big Ten because remember Ohio State Michigan's typically that weekend as well. Um, it's also if you have all your this great inventory that everyone's invested in on the same weekend, it doesn't really help when you have 16 teams in the conference. Now, now granted, there's only four protected rivalries. But I, I like spreading it out. It's going to have to happen. Yeah, I, I just, I just think though, you're essentially seeding that final weekend to everyone else that is talking, you know, that is playing their rivalries because, like, that's the big exposure week as well. Like, you want your biggest games at the end of the season so people are still paying attention to your conference. I, I mean, I, I definitely think that there's a an advantage to putting those games in separate weeks. I just wish that they would have gone with an alternate rivalry week right like instead of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like what we used to see all the time was like uh you know the the week before 
So like that second to last week when the SEC is playing a whole bunch of cupcakes, like that's the perfect time to front and center some really big matchups, some really big rivalries. Like I, I just think that they could have done it a lot better. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be that last weekend, but I definitely think that there should be a week where you're highlighting quite a few of those, you know, rivalries that you're trying to build. I, I agree. I wish they would do it on what amounts to SoCon Saturday. And honestly, it would have been, I think week 12 would have been the week this year. Um, you have some SEC matchups. There's a few SEC teams that are off that weekend. Um, and there's what, Texas A&M, New Mexico State, Alabama Mercer, Auburn, ULM. Like, I think week 12 was a perfect one, but you didn't know what their schedule was going to be unless you coordinated with them. And that's not really going to happen. So like, I, I agree that they should have a rivalry week in the big 12 and just not have it be the last week. Like stake a claim in a weekend and, and make it that weekend. I, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, that's not what they did. So we'll see if they kind of figure that out moving forward. Um, I, I can't help but also wonder if like, look, y'all, this is the first season of a 16 team conference, in the big 12. There's still fine tuning to do. There's still things to figure out. Is it a perfect schedule? No. Um, is it a good schedule? Yeah. Am I excited about the schedule? Absolutely. So we'll talk more about football schedule coming up in a little bit here. Uh, let's talk a little hoops. Let's dive into hoops. Let's start with the women's side because that's what we want to do today. Um, I've got three topics here that we're going to discuss. Number one, Jamie, we're just going to rip the bandaid off here and get this one out of the way. Uh, Iowa state on a losing streak have lost four of their last five, not counting the TCU forfeit. Cause we're not going to count that as a game played four of the last five games. They have actually played have been losses. Now, granted all those losses have come on the road. It's a really tricky schedule for them that you had a home game canceled. And so you've now had to play four or five games on the road. That is a tough spot for Iowa state, but I mean, losing to UCF this weekend, that's the one I think at this point where you just went like, okay, there's a lot of road games. Now you've got a loss to UCF, which is not a not a good loss, not a not a and I'm not even sure an understandable loss. Jamie, is this just the youth that we thought would have problems is starting to kind of show a little bit? Or is this something for concern, or is this just welcome to the Big Twelve and you've had to play four or five on the road? I mean, it depends on what your standard is on what you're assuming they're going to do over the course of the season if it's based on coming into the season and saying okay we're young you don't really know what's going to happen then it it's kind of par for the course uh leaning towards okay I'll take being seven and four in conference if you start out five and oh and all of a sudden you forget that this is an extremely inexperienced team and that those wins came in very close games after having to mount insane comebacks, uh, then maybe you're concerned. But for me, uh, it's just kind of one of those things where uh, you're getting in a lot of close games and you're going to win about 50% of the time in close games usually. And so you're out a little bit ahead right now of where you probably should be and could be based on how close the games have been. Um, and it, it just is a little bit of reinforcement that says, all right, you have to learn how to pull away. You have to learn how to be a little bit more uh, of that killer instinct there in conference. And yeah, losing at UCF is very far from ideal. Um, it's uh, hopefully a little bit of a wake up call, but you got 
good wins as well. And so you, you, it's, it's a, if you can learn from it, okay, you move on. You can't play up and down to the level of your competition game in and game out. You have to be able to play your own game. Um, but at the end of the day, it, again, it is uh, like you were kind of saying, it's a really young team. There's going to be, there's been some high highs. There's been some low lows. There's probably going to be a little bit more of that roller coaster the rest of the season. But uh, if they can continue to do some things better, um, then all right, you you really don't have a choice but to grin and bear it. But uh, they got to be able to take advantage here of a couple games at home. They're against good competition, which generally would be maybe a little bit concerning coming off of that kind of game. But since they've consistently played, like I said, kind of up or down to the level of their competition, hopefully that means that better games are ahead there. So, you know, try, I, I've tried very hard not to get too high and too low. So uh, we'll, we'll just kind of see uh, how things pan out here this weekend. Yeah. I mean, and, and to Jamie's point, like with the youth of this team, you always knew there was going to be a point in the season where they hit a wall. The question was going to be, how big of a wall was it? Like, is it going to stop them in their tracks for a good three or four game stretch? Or was it going to be, you know, a blip that they have to like deal with a, a single loss that, you know, caused them a problem and then they, and they figure out how to do it. And, and until they actually hit that roadblock for them, like it was hard to know how they were going to react to it because of how young of a team they are. I think the problem is that the big 12 just does not allow you to really you know, deal with those huge, uh, you know, just the things that, that get in your way there. And so, I mean, yeah, you know, each one of those losses individually, you look at it, it's like, it's completely reasonable, right? You lose at a Texas tech team. That's been much, much better than, uh, than I think a lot of people were expecting coming into the year. Everything gelled really well for them. You lose to a Kansas team that, you know, you know, in Lawrence, again, that just had an absolutely phenomenal game there. And, and, you know, you were in that one, until the end um, like this is a team I think that just has like the only one you look at and it's like, well, wait, what just happened would be that UCF game. And it definitely looked to me as I was watching that one, it's like a, it's been a struggle for the last few weeks and they're just exhausted. They're just tired out. They need to find a way. And, and the fact that they have a full week between games now to kind of rest up a little bit before you play Oklahoma and Kansas state, I think it's going to be a huge boon for them to be able to just, regroup, figure out what it is that they want to do, and then go forward. And I'll also say that, obviously, UCF, I'm not saying it's it's a great loss or whatever, but to my point of Iowa State playing all these close games, UCF has kept almost every conference game close. So at some point, they were probably going to win one of those two. And so when you come up against another team that plays basically nothing but close games – yeah, it sort of tracks that that's the one that they get. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them snag another one because uh, if if Caitlin Peterson can make plays that aren't just her scoring and set up her teammates the way she did there, uh, I think there's other teams that could struggle with that too. But uh, yeah, the, the close games are uh, not good for my heart, first of all. Uh, and uh, just not good for securing wins in general anyway like you, you got to learn how to win and win convincingly and uh that'll come with time 
Yeah, learning learning how to win is big. I don't think this week off could have come at a better time. Uh, they are off until Saturday, in which case they will meet the team we're going to talk about next. That is Oklahoma, who is currently sitting at 9-1 and one in conference standings, alone in first place after Kansas State lost to Texas. Uh, OU is 9-1 and one in conference play, and I'm a little bit surprised by it. They have found ways to win in the last four. They played Bedlam on Saturday and came from behind to get a, a, a road win. Beat Kansas State by just three at home during the week. Of course, that is a Kansas State way. I thought Aoka Lee uh, had a five-point home win over Kansas, went on the road and had a four-point win at Texas. They're finding ways to win these last few against better competition. Is this OU team, like I'm not going to ask, are they for real? Kansas State, obviously Oakley is not going to be back for a little while. West Virginia's at eight and two. We're going to talk about them coming up here in a minute. Texas is eight and three. They're still a solid team. Should OU be the favorites at this point with the with the injuries at can on Kansas State? Texas is kind of up and down issues, and and I, I do West Virginia being good, but I'm not sure that they're Big Twelve. Like, should OU be the favorites the rest of the way? I don't. I don't necessarily think that they should be the favorites. The problem is. Like, because you look at the way that they've been winning, right? Like, this is a team that literally runs a, I'm sorry, a sprint the entire game. Um, Like, they play at such a fast pace. And they're not necessarily, like, especially when you look at the analytics, they're not, like, heads and tails better than every team that they're playing. The problem, I think, has just been that stuff is, you know, like they've gotten some good bounces along the way that have allowed them to win some games that that they easily could have lost, which is definitely a you know it's a positive to be able to pull those kind of games out. But I look at their their statistical profile, and it's you know it's it's a really weird one. It's one that I wouldn't have thought would have been this successful. So I, I don't think it's like this feels like it's an outlier in terms of it's it's like the top you know the top 1% of possibilities for how good the season could have gone for them. I still think the big 12 is big is, is tough enough that they could, you know, just looking at the rest of the schedule that they have, there's a realistic chance that they could lose quite a few of these games. The question is just going to be, is everything going to come together? I mean, they have to, you know, they have to play, uh, they they have to play uh, Kansas at the end of the year. They have Texas at the end of the year, right before that, you know, they're, they're playing uh, a, a weird TCU team that, you know, half the time seems to want to be playing well. And the other half, like stuff just randomly, you know, collapses, but they're, they're playing Iowa state. They've got Baylor Westford. I mean, they've got a loaded schedule still the rest of the way. I, I would not be shocked. Like there's five games that they very well could lose. And, and that's not saying that the rest of the conference is, you know, going to win a whole bunch of games and definitely pass them. But, I don't think that there's enough that they do that's heads or tails just better than everybody else that you have to pencil them in as the favorite. I think that they're definitely one of like four or five favorites, but like they're, they're in that top group, but they don't do anything to differentiate themselves in a way that you just have to say they're the ones that are probably going to win it. And I think that the thing that you have to remember with this season is that the unbalanced schedule is going to really play a significant part in how things shake out. Uh, especially when you have a lot of teams that are looking like they're going to be pretty close in terms of wins and losses. Uh, When you have a lot of those preseason favorites that have several losses on them already for Oklahoma, their past five games, 
have been wins by single digit margins um, and against teams like K-State, that's solid. At Texas, that's solid. At Houston, maybe that's a little bit surprising. Um, against Kansas at home, maybe that's a little bit surprising. Um, at Oklahoma State, maybe a little surprising. So it, it's it's really hard to say, but they still have yet to see Iowa State, Baylor, West Virginia for the first time. And then they have a second round with both Texas and at Kansas, which Kansas plays significantly better at home than they do on the road too. So that'll be really interesting. I think what Oklahoma has uh, as far as a really big strength is their depth. The fact that they play 10 to 11 people regularly is absolutely huge, but their, uh, their big issue is not having a post with Liz Scott out. And so uh, for instance, I know Hannah Gusters was like eight for 16 against them. That's a big reason why that Oklahoma state game was able to stay close. And so teams that can kind of exploit that uh, are definitely going to have a chance in those games. But the fact that they have beat Texas once uh, is really impressive to me because that feels like a team that would be able to exploit that and able to get to the rim, able to get those shots inside. So uh, like in USA, I don't know that there is a clear favorite uh, just because of kind of the weird stuff with the injuries and with not knowing what things look like for K-State. Um, but if you were to have to pick one right now, uh, I don't think that they would be a bad bet. Like Texas has maybe a more favorable schedule throughout the rest of the season than Oklahoma does, but they've got a couple losses on them. And then West Virginia has uh, really a, a, a tough, a tough stretch here to finish. West Virginia still has going to Baylor. They go, they've got Oklahoma. They go to Kansas state. They've got Baylor at home. So they have Baylor twice. Uh, and that's another really guard heavy team. Um, and they go to Oklahoma State, who's a team that uh, is potentially able to match up with them in in some capacity there. Um, Baylor's a weird team. There's some teams that haven't won a lot of games that you still can see matching up with them. So I think Oklahoma State will be interesting. But all that to say, uh, not a clear favorite, but they definitely have a good shot at winning. But they're just not the only ones. Yeah, it'd be interesting to follow this race the rest of the way. Can Kansas State stay, stay close enough in it that Aoka Lee can come back and have an impact there? Uh, Texas is still, based off CBB analytics, still the best team in the conference from an analytical standpoint. Their net rating overall is a 99th percentile at plus 37.1. Offensive rating is 98th percentile. Defensive rating is 98th percentile. Like they're still technically the best team in the Big 12. They've just been, the injuries have obviously had an issue. And then in West Virginia, like that schedule down the stretch is tough. And that's what leads me to West Virginia, who's on a six-game win streak. They're sitting alone in third, uh, a game back from Kansas State, uh, or half a game back from Kansas State, a game, a game back from Oklahoma. You just kind of touched on West Virginia's schedule, their chances of being a contender. What I really want to ask about, because <clears throat> we have talked about potential player of the year candidates. Let's say West Virginia stays within contention. They face this really tough schedule, and they do a good job with it. Should we be talking about J.J.? Uh, Quinterly, as far as a potential player of the year candidate for West Virginia, because if you look at where she is in the conference right now, uh oh, Jamie's looking at me weird look. Oh no, go uh, ahead. 
fourth in points per in conference play, fourth in points per game at 19.5, second in total points, fifth in free throws per uh free throws made, sixth in free throw percentile, ninth in field goal percentage, and first in steals per game at 3.3. Like she's having a very good year for West Virginia in a team that's kind of on the rise, but still kind of quiet as far as conversations about the Big 12. With Aoka Lee taking the having the injury she has. Oklahoma seeing more like a, a really good roster overall. Should we have a conversation about Quinterly or do you think that it's that we're going to have to see more from this West Virginia team and her for that, for her to join the conversation? Oh, I mean, it, I, if she's not in the conversation, you're just not paying attention. That's, that's all that my look was like, unquestionably she is. Um, she's, I, I look really heavily at in-conference statistics when you're talking about uh, player of the year and, and conference awards because especially in the big 12 the non-conference schedules are so wildly varied that you can look at it and say okay overall uh is is the impact lining up with uh their conference impact is is that kind of going to be the same throughout the non-conference but the conference season matters a lot more and it's a lot more even of footing in in conference play jj quinterly is fourth in the league in scoring. Um, She is, like you said, uh, she's first in the league in assists and it's not close. The top three all come from West Virginia, uh, (laughs) which is, which is really unreal. Um, Are you, are you, are you talking about steals? Yeah. Okay. You said assists and that's where I was confused. And actually according, according to ESPN stat thing, it's the top four in steals are all from West Virginia. In conference play. Uh, oh, it may, it may not be conference play specific. Yeah, but still. so in conference play, she's averaging 3.2 steals a game. The next closest is Jordan Harrison at 2.6, like over half a steal per game. So um, she's really impactful. And the thing is that in, in this kind of year where your top at least three candidates, as far as I'm concerned, for player of the year have spent significant time out or are hurt for the year. Um, I think that it's going to be the best player on the best team. And so that means that we're looking at right now um, with, with the potential contenders, you're going to be looking at Skylar Van from Oklahoma. You're going to be looking at JJ Clinterly from West Virginia. You'd be looking at Madison Booker to be the first freshman player of the year uh, from Texas K-State's a weird one, uh, but with Aoka Lee out, it'd be Serena Sundell there. Um, and so it, it's. I think it's really going to come down to that. And so it'll be, if someone really sets themselves apart in the next however many games most of these teams have left, you know, nine-ish, ten, whatever, eight, eight-ish, uh, eight uh, then they can potentially win it without being on the number one team but just because there will be votes split a lot of ways you could have someone win it with like four votes and it's just much more likely to be from the top team but no jj jj's absolutely in that conversation because of the impact she has on both ends of the court and when she's playing well is when West Virginia's playing well. When they've struggled, it's because she struggled. And so the fact that she's really pulled things back together, she struggled a little bit at the beginning of conference play, uh, and she's been very, very good lately. So if she can continue that and can continue 
to especially offensively impact the game, then absolutely she's going to be a top candidate. Yeah, I mean, I think the point that I was going to make is that if you go down the list of, you know, four or five individual players that we thought had a really good shot at the beginning of the year, they've either been injured or, you know, or just haven't performed. Um, well, and, and really it's th- th- that they've been injured. Um, and so the real the real question, right, becomes what do the voters do? How do you pick somebody when like all five people that you expected to be the, you know, the person in there um, is not available for a good portion of the season? And so, uh, yeah, I just I don't think there's I don't think anybody's done enough to differentiate themselves. That's been available long enough for most people to consider you know, voting them in to be player of the year. Like Ayoka Lee, I, I think is probably the one person who, if she's able to come back, you know, with four or five games and just completely balls out in those four or five games, that even with a big miss, like that would be like a, oh my gosh, like, you know, she deserves to win player of the year. Ultimately, if you get like a, you know, a Tiana Jackson who has like she had against BYU, you know, 25 and 22, like if you get several of those performances from a single player in the last, you know, seven games or so of the season, then someone could sneak up there just from having those types of individual performances. But the race is wide open at this point. Like, I don't think there's anybody who's differentiated himself enough that you look at them and like, yeah, they're, they're on a short list of, you know, two or three people that have a good chance to be in this award is every single person that you're considering right now. There's a fairly significant knock that you can, put on them at least when you start to compare them against the other top people in the in the league well and without taking too much more time on this i'll also say that the fact that it's such a tight race in the league also impacts it a lot because looking back i believe the lowest the team with the player of the year on it has finished is maybe fifth i looked at it earlier uh i i don't for sure recall i think you're right that it's fifth uh they're they're going to be a top half, probably top third team. You're not going to have a team that finishes eighth with the player of the year on it. So that's going to impact things a lot where if a team goes on a skid, if West Virginia were to go on a big skid here and end up finishing, you know, sixth or seventh, even if they were picked lower than that preseason, JJ's not going to win player of the year. Now I'm curious who that was. I'll, I'll look for it later. It's fine. It, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Uh, I think, look, it's going to be an interesting race for player of the year. It's going to be an interesting race for who wins the regular season title. Um, I hate that Aoka Lee is out, but it does kind of make this more interesting with Oklahoma on top now. Texas is still really good. Uh, West Virginia's got an opportunity. Kansas State's not out of it. So definitely something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Another thing to keep an eye on is, of course, our friends at Charlie Hustle official sponsors here on the 1012 podcast and for the 1012 network charlie hustle is a vintage inspired clothing company based out of kansas city that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel and loves the big 12 they have a partnership with the big 12 want to know why because it makes a lot of sense you can literally go to charliehustle.com forward slash pages forward slash big dash 12 and just see big 12 gear all the Big 12 schools, minus Cincinnati, just keep tweeting with Cincinnati fans. Like, it's an official partnership. There's a bunch of Big 12 stuff. They've got BYU, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia. They've got an official. The Look, we're getting close to the Big 12 tournament time. The Big 12 tee with the Kansas City skyline in it. Perfect thing to get for a Big 12 tournament. Or you could go to, say, the West Virginia section and get yourself a country road shirt. Or you could go to the Texas Tech section and get a Wreckham hoodie. 
plenty of things. Or you can get one of the varsity jackets, Curse of Cowboys, if I may suggest, Oklahoma State fans. Go to charliehustle.com, shop around. Once you've got that cart full, use the promo code 101215 for 15% off all non-sale items. I think they're going to just keep dropping more stuff. Okay, more stuff's going to get dropped. I can't wait because they're doing the Big 12, like, champion tees. So whoever wins gets a shirt. I'm, I'm excited for some, like, wrestling. They will have a championship tee for whoever wins Big 12 wrestling this year. Oklahoma State's undefeated. Knocked off Missouri on Sunday. Fingers crossed as an Oklahoma State fan. Fingers crossed. So go to charliehustle.com. Promo code 101215, 15% off all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, let's hop to the men's side. Andy, time to do some heavy lifting here. I'm going to throw some stats to you before we jump into our three topics. Number one, um, I've decided that the Big 12 is chaos this year. Texas is chaos incarnate because Texas has now lost three Big 12 home games and won three Big 12 home games. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the weirdest stat to me. Like that, that is the most Jekyll and Hyde team. Maybe they're figuring it out. We'll see. Um, Kansas State, meanwhile, four and one start to conference play, have now lost four in a row, including at last place Oklahoma State. And at home to Oklahoma by 20. Not a good week for Kansas State. Oh, by the way, Iowa State is 13 and 0 at home this season, including the win over Kansas last week. So congrats to them on that. All right. Oh, here's a fun one for UCF fans. Shout out to Trace Trilco for this one of Sons of UCF. Uh, the UCF men's basketball win over Oklahoma marks the second time in program history the Knights have defeated two ranked teams in a single season. I'm going to say that again slow because I want to make sure you heard me. This is just the second time in program history they've beaten two ranked teams in the same year. That is incredible. Uh, last time it happened was 08, or the 18-19 season when they beat Houston and Cincinnati, who were ranked at the time. So much for growing right, pains but, coming in the Big Twelve. They just they've been they've been saving it all up. Oh, what, when you play as many ranked teams as you're going to face in the Big Twelve on a week to week basis, you have a better opportunity than That's when you fair, play in the AAC and there's like two ranked teams in the conference each year total. So it was almost more of an amazing feat to get two in the AAC play than in Big Twelve play. Uh, okay, we are nine games into conference play in the Big 12 on the men's side, and just two games separates number one Kansas and number 12 Kansas State in the standings. That is the Big 12. As we mentioned, it is absolute chaos this season, and it's a ton of fun. Andy, here's my question, though. Kansas and Houston sit atop the standings. Those are kind of the two teams everyone figured would would win the Big 12 this year. Uh, Texas Tech was looking really good, and now they're faltering. Kansas State, as we've talked about, is faltering. Maybe Texas is figuring things out. Who knows? Oklahoma is good, but flawed. Everyone in this conference is flawed. But the two teams we kind of figured would be dueling it out for the conference, face off on Saturday, Kansas won emphatically. Uh, Does this all just feel like cool, fun window dressing, and and the two teams sitting atop it now, or one of them is going to win the conference? Or is this just another stop in what is the mad runaway train that is the big 12 men's basketball this season oh gosh it's nowhere near over um look i mean i think everybody expected kansas to get back to this point at some point this season because they always have a you know a a slump in the middle of january or like late january or early february and then somehow get it turned around but there are plenty of other good teams houston like kansas kansas showed how you break that houston defense um by passing it all over the place and making them pay for being super aggressive. But 
like they're not the only ones that can do that in conference. And Houston, you know, and and Kansas can very well lose to you know a lot of different teams here in the conference. So I don't think I don't think the things that worry me about this Kansas team, specifically the depth, that I know that we're going to potentially be talking about that here in a minute. Um, like I don't I don't think that those issues are fixed, right? And so like there are still plenty of hiccups to happen for I think every team here. I said it before the season. I just talked about it with my co-host over on the Rock Shock Pod. Um, I don't see how the winner of this conference has less than five losses. Um, like every single team in this conference is going to still have at least a couple more losses. And so, yeah, there's still a ways to go. Um, fun, fun stat. The only uh, power six, you know, team or conference that even comes close to the big 12 in terms of having the number of teams that are within two games of the lead um, would be the PAC 12 um, and the pack because the PAC 12 has uh, seven of them. Uh, that's it. Like that's, that's ridiculous at this point. You know, the big 12 has 12 of their 14 teams. The PAC 12 has seven of their 12 teams. Most of the other ones are like two or three. It's ridiculous. I really wanted to make a seven of nine reference because I felt like a nerd for a minute, but that doesn't actually work when you say seven of 12. Okay, let's let's hop to the Kansas topic because this is something that I think uh, Ross team pointed out and so I've been keeping track of now. Kansas's bench offensively might be a problem, Andy. In the last three games, they've made three total baskets in three games. They are a combined, what is it, three and 12 in shots on the field. And uh, what is that? Uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 total points. Now, Kansas has gone 2-1 and one in that stretch, the loss being at Iowa State. You forgive anyone for going into Hilton and losing at Iowa State. It happens to many, many, many teams, many times. It's Hilton. It's called Hilton Magic for a reason. I need BYU and Iowa State to battle over who gets to say that their stadium is magic. I just Their arena is magic. I need it. And I need that duel to happen. They've had bright spots. Uh at West Virginia was a loss, but they hit 7 of 13 for 17 points. But they've also had what, 2 or 3 against Oklahoma for 4 points and a win, 3 for 5. Like, it's just, you look at this Kansas bench, and if they run into games in which the starters aren't succeeding, do you feel like Kansas bench could actually step up and help them out? Or is it just kind of a situation where if the starting five can't get it done, Kansas is going to be in big, big trouble? I, I think it's better now than it has been. and And I definitely think that, like, Marco Jackson, you know, having to step into the starting lineup for Kevin McCuller and, you know, all of his points going towards starters instead of bench players like that kind of skews the, the statistic a little bit um, just because when you think of Kansas bench and Marco Jackson is firmly on that bench right now. But I think the point still stands that Kansas, you know, they game plan really well with the starting five and Kansas is probably like if if you only played with your starting five, Kansas would by far be one of the title favorites because they just have a fantastic starting five, especially now that Furphy has really kind of come on here. But the problem of course is that you don't get to just play five players. You have a bench that can really affect the outcome of the game. The problem, or I should say the, the thing that I take some solace in as a Kansas fan and that Bill Self has already mentioned um, when you get to the point of the season where people really care, right? Like the NCAA tournament, um, you do have a lot longer timeouts. You have, you know, many more breaks, like half times longer. 
depth issues aren't necessarily as big of a deal unless you get into foul trouble. And Kansas has actually done a fairly good job of staying out of foul trouble for the most part, with the exception of Johnny Furphy. For whatever reason, he can't play defense without the refs thinking that they need to call a foul. Um, a lot of them are deserved, but not all of them are. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I just think that uh, this is a Kansas team that, while the margin of error is a lot smaller than it normally is, I still think they're just as talented. And you mean you got some big minutes from Parker Brown, um, you know, against Houston, and he did uh, that in the last few games as well. I think the issue, the real issue for the Jayhawks has been they don't have a standard to, you know, the loss of Arturo Morris, which again, that was a completely, you know, potentially foreseeable situation that Kansas put themselves in. But the fact is that they don't have the player that they expected to have there. And Nick Timberlake, who has transferred in, has not been the three-point sharpshooter that you expected. Like, those are two guys that you would have expected to have that extra depth with. You expected to be big contributors. And you just don't have them. So, yeah, I think depth is a concern, but I don't think it's a big enough concern as we've seen with how good this this offense can be um, and how good this team can be with just those five starters. I think the bigger issue is just defensively because you can't play the kind of defense that Bill Self wants to play if you don't have the bodies to to rotate it and out to keep people fresh. All right. Um, I have avoided this topic for a while because – I get tired of hearing people complain about the refs all the time. Like it is fun to make fun. It's fun to be mad at the refs. It is. And I think fans always like, like, of course the the refs screwed you. There was a call you didn't like. They didn't make a call here. And I have had plenty of opportunities and times as a fan where I'm like, okay, y'all let's, let's, we all make jokes about, you know, fouls in at Kansas. But after Saturday's game between Baylor and Iowa State, like we've reached a we've reached a boiling point here in the Big Twelve, where the best conf- best men's basketball conference in the country has a ref problem. Uh, forty eight fouls called in a forty minute game. That's more than a foul a minute. That includes Scott Drew getting ejected for merely stepping outside the coach's box in a in a situation where it made zero sense whatsoever. And I still keep going back to it, watching it, and saying, "Do you know how much?" Co-? And I understand, like, look, I understand what other coaches at other places do. Every situation is different. Fine. He got ejected. Then the bench, like seconds later, got assessed a technical foul as well. That led to eight. Free throws for Iowa State was part of a 20-0 run that it's really hard not to look at and say, like, wasn't impacted specifically by the refs in a game that Baylor should have won more comfortably. Games are being impacted in the Big 12 by the refs. Games are always impacted. I get it. I get it. Refs have an impact. That's that's fine. But this has become a, consensus, a consistent and consensus problem across all Big 12 fan bases of there's an issue in the Big 12 right now where the the refs are making, I don't know, I don't want to say that they're making it about themselves. A part of me wants to, but I'm not going to. I don't know what's going on here. But when fans are saying this across the board, and not just about their own teams to complain about what happened to them, are saying it everywhere. And Big 12 fans are very basketball smart. Okay? When you have the best basketball conference in the country, you tend to be fairly decent at paying attention and watching and caring and 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 understanding what is and isn't a foul. I understand some fouls are subjective. I don't know if there is a concerted effort by the conference to try and crack down on certain things, and this is how it's coming across. I don't know if you've hired some refs, and I understand it's really hard to hire refs. Nobody wants to be a ref. It's an 
awful, thankless, horrible job. I don't know what's going on, but we have reached a boiling over point of, I'm not going to call the conference unwatchable. It's the best conference in the country. You're going to watch these games. Whether you like it or not. But they are, ha- <laughs> but they are having an impact that is upsetting and is impacting the best basketball product on the court. And it's so bad. I mean, it's, it's so bad on the women's side too. Like I, I'm really, I'm, I'm so, I'm so sick of talking about refs. I'm so sick of talking about officiating, but when's the last time you watched a game and you could talk about the end product and the end result without having being forced to acknowledge some impact that an official had on a game. And most of the time, they're making bad calls on both sides of the floor. Like, I mean, obviously, I watched the Iowa State Baylor game. That was insane. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Iowa State benefited from a lot of, of good things. And then at the end, that was an error. Like, Iowa State should have had two seconds on the clock at the end, too. When you're reviewing, you don't go back to when we blew the whistle. That it screws everyone you don't get to just talk about the product that's on the court. You are forced to discuss the impact that these officials have. And to me, there, there's obviously there's a lot of issues with it. But one of the biggest to me is simply the inconsistency. And it's not that different officials call games different ways. It's that the same people within the same game are wildly inconsistent with what and when they call certain things. Um, at, at this point, we know that officiating is not as good as it used to be. We know it's tough to find officials. That's fine. Um, but you, you can't just decide that you're going to quit calling certain fouls because one team does it a lot and that doesn't seem right. You have to call what's in front of you. Uh, and a lot of the times that doesn't happen. It can't be that throughout the course of a game, you simply do not know what is and is not a foul. If it's from one game to another, even, you can kind of figure that out and say, okay, they're calling it tighter in this game. Okay, they're letting us play in this game. But when it's quarter to quarter, minute to minute, that is no way to play a game. And frankly, it's it's not even that surprising when you can flip on the TV and an official that was doing our game in Iowa on one night on a fr- on a you know Wednesday night is across the country the next day and it's even worse on the weekends you can have someone who was doing a Pac-12 game on Friday night in Iowa Saturday morning and back across the country to the SEC on Sunday like they're doing too many games. They clearly cannot handle it. The Big 12, I don't know if they don't pay as much as other conferences, but they're not getting the best people there. Across the board, it is abysmal. It is making it impossible to enjoy it. It's making it impossible to talk about without having the, well, I don't want to be that guy, but I really don't. I don't want to talk about it, but you don't have a choice. And I'm so, so sick of it. I will say, I think that there's a few things that are kind of all coming together to make this this year I both seem and actually be worse than it usually is. Like, the fact that they're overworked, that's been an issue for, I, I don't know, 
like 10, 15 years, like where you a growing have, issue that's getting, and, worse and yeah, worse. I mean, it's, it's definitely getting worse, but it's, it's been an issue that's been there. I think what you saw this year, the changes that they tried to institute for block charge calls this year, um, you know, they were talking about it and they sounded great, but I was ex- extremely skeptical during big 12 media days that they would consistently be able to do it throughout the entire season. And I think that they've pretty much reverted back to, you know, the way it was before. Like there's, there's a few instances now where, you know, some things that wouldn't have been, or that would have been called offensive fouls before or not like the blatant ones, but a lot of the ones where, you know, players are playing defense and sliding their feet and running with a guy are still getting called as fouls against the defense where they specific, like they were explicitly asked at big Toe media days, if this type of play would be a foul. And they're like, yeah, there's no way. Um, and so like what we have seen, I think is that more and more, the officials are being affected by home crowds, being upset about calls. They're being affected or they're waiting too long to take control of games. They're letting teams be a lot more physical because that's the way that the block charge rules tend to trend it. Um, but like Houston, Kansas was a perfect example of just how badly they are or how, how badly they've mismanaged games. Kansas and Houston in the first 10 minutes of the game, I was tallying. It was like in any other game, things that would have been called fouls based off of the, the amount of contact, the fact that guys were just blatantly running into each other, you know, for no good reason. There should have been like 30 something calls in the first 10 minutes of Kansas Houston. They were playing that physical. They called three, I think. Like it was, it was, it was to the point where players were getting hacked and hit in the shoulders and just like pulled all over the place and they weren't calling anything. And the players adjusted to it. But then you get in the second half and like, and like Jamie was saying, then they start calling every little thing um, until the players finally adjust again. They shouldn't be having to adjust to officiating that often. And like, at the very least, you have to call it consistently. Like, cause I can understand, you know, different crews see it differently. Different guys have different responsibilities on different crews. Like I, I can, I can be talked into some of those being reasonable explanations for why there's differences, not, not excuses about why it's okay, but reasonable explanations for why they're different. But when you have those things changing mid game, either because the fan base gets so upset or just because they decide that they can't call it consistently. It just feels like it shouldn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and, but specifically to talk about the Scott Drew situation, because it's his very first objection ever or ejection from a game. It's the first time he's ever been thrown out of a game. Um, Yeah. Well, I honestly think that um, I would have been, I would have been a whole lot more upset if the, the two texts that he got were flipped. Because the first one, he came out onto the court, like significantly out onto the court and interfered with the play. That was an automatic, you have to call that tech. Then once you've been warned about being out of the coach's box at that point, you have to be better about that. And I realized that he, you know, he did the whole, the whole, like, I'm keeping a foot inside the box. So I didn't technically leave the box, but like, and I understand that most coaches do that, but when you've already been warned about something, you have to be you have to like stay away from the line entirely or else you risk the fact that they're going to, you know, and it wasn't even the guy that he was talking to. It was some guy all the way over. I honestly think what probably happened is that that ref looked over and saw Scott drew standing back up and thought he was out of the coach's box and trying to get back in before he got called. But regardless, like I still think it was horrible. Like looking at it, the fact that he got thrown out for it, but I can at least 
understand it somewhat relative to like you made the big mistake in the first one, right? Like it was definitely something that had to be called there. There's no wiggle room the rest of the game. And that's like, that's the only thing that I can say. Like, uh, again, I'm not saying he should have been thrown out. But what I'm saying is the fact that he pushed the line for that second one, even though I don't think he crossed it, he at least got close enough that somebody was going to do something if they're officiating as badly as we all know they are. He tempted fate, back to, essentially. Uh, when, and never tempt a, a Big 12 ref. Exactly. Uh, shout out to Cam Stewart for this one. Jeb Hartness was one of the refs on Saturday in that game. There is a news article from the El Paso Times back from a few years ago in which Jeb Hartness, uh, what was it, 2011, which Jeb Hartness was reportedly suspended for ejecting a coach in a situation where it was dumb that a coach got ejected. Just pointing out, you know, connections. Uh, Brett Yarmark was at that game. I hope he has seen the problem and will be addressing it because it's important. Your best basketball conference in the country cannot reach a point where I don't like talking about refs and we're having to spend 10 minutes of this podcast talking about refs. I don't want to do that the rest of the year. And we're done with it now. How do you think I feel on my calls? My God. So that's like saying we're not going to talk about the college football playoff in football season until the end of the year. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, there's just things I don't want to talk exactly. about. Exactly. There's the sport is about so many other things than this, what this or this. And if you're going to force us to do it, as Jamie said, you're going to make me pissed off. So, and the fans, I think are like, can you, can we talk about this? Cause it's a problem. Like I have no impact on it. I'm just a, Guy with a microphone yelling into the ether and hoping somebody out there is listening. Sometimes, right, uh, wait, hold I... on. Sometimes I, sometimes if I'm really upset about something and I think that it's like really bad, uh, I'll talk about it a little bit louder when a ref's right in front of me. <laughs> it's like you know what you did. You have to know. Perfect end note. Uh, we've got Dean Straka, CBS Sports, coming up next. We're going to talk about. The Big 12 football schedule for 2024, our thoughts about the whole thing, contenders, tough schedules, tough stretches, uh, just overall thoughts in general. Um, So we're going to get to that. This has been fun. Uh, She is JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson, at JSteyz, J-S-T-E-Y-Z on Twitter. He is Andy Mitz, at Andy Mitz 12 on Twitter. That's M-I-T-T-S. Check out the Rock Chalk podcast. Check out all of Jamie's work, like y'all. If you're fans of Big 12 basketball, if you're just fans of women's basketball, you're not following Jamie. I think I'm going to talk uh, front runners for end of season awards this week. <gasps> yeah. Nice. Follow, 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 follow. We're at 1012 Network on Twitter, at 1012 Pod on Threads and the Gram. 1012 Network.com. Check out every show. All right. Let's talk Big 12 football schedule. The Big 12 football schedule for 2024 is out. Everyone's talked about it. I know we're a few days behind. Forgive me. I mean, we, we had softball. Softball's a weekend. I had to prep softball. Okay. And then I had to spend a whole day. I had to take a sick day because I had to deal with tax stuff, which is tons of fun. Just insane fun. Have you ever been on the phone with the IRS? Have you ever been put on hold twice by the IRS for now? It's not the most enjoyable thing. So today we're just going to talk about Big 12 football schedule because how can you not want to do so? 
I'm not doing it alone. I'm very excited uh, to have us joining on the pod. I mean, it's not the first time, but it's been a while. Dean Straka of CBS Sports. Dean, welcome back to the show, man. It's good to be on. A lot's changed in the Big 12 since last time. I think we all talked over this podcast, but it should be a fun year ahead with all the new changes coming up. It feels like I have to say that with everybody. Like, well, now that you're here, massive changes to the Big 12 ever since the last time you were on last week. So we'll just kind of have to roll with it. Um, it took a long time, but we finally got here. We've got our 16-team Big 12 schedule with the four newcomers. Oklahoma and Texas are gone, which is still weird to look at the schedule and break it down and be like, well, there's oh, there's no Oklahoma. Well, there's no Texas. You don't have to auto-mark an L for, for OSU with OU on the schedule anymore. That's a nice feeling. Uh just looking at the schedule that we have, what are just your initial thoughts about it for, for 2024? I think the first question is just like, where do you even start? Because there's so many like teams that you just don't know what they're going to be. There's so many teams who don't know each other. Um, you know, there's not everybody has a round robin even close to it this year. There's so much like disparity of who faces who in a sense, but also that creates a lot of excitement over, you know, which path is going to be the easiest and who might have a extra edge in getting to Arlington. So it's a blender, but it's also very exciting just to see how much like parity and balance there could be. And the fact that, you know, if you win the conference, you, you effectively, you're in the playoff and you're probably getting a buy in all likelihood. So it's, you know, fun to think about how it's all going to pan out, but it's just, there's so many paths you can take about, okay, this team, is going to be good. This team won't like it. It's just a total toss up, but that's the big 12 always is. And it'll be again this year. Look, I, I think I harped on the schedule a lot last off season. And, and by the end of the year, learned that everything that we're going to say here is just fun content because at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything because whoever we think has the easiest schedule or the toughest schedule, we could be completely and totally wrong on. Our whole thing with West Virginia last year was like, look how hard their schedule is going to be. Like it's one of those difficult schedules in the big 12. They're going to struggle. They're going to finish at the bottom of the conference. They had a really good year. The schedule wasn't as hard as we thought it was going to be. And it's not a shot at like the success that they had with the nine win season, but like it wasn't as difficult to schedule as we thought. And we have to reevaluate things as the season goes on. So Everything here is, at this moment, the way we view things, this is how we think. Not to mention, like, I'm loving people who are putting out graphics like, these are the top three teams in the Big 12. I'm like, how do you pick three? How do you narrow down? I, I had it narrowed down to six way too early contenders and got griped at because I left West Virginia. I'm like, well, maybe I should have had seven way too early contenders. But, like, I've got West Virginia and, and Iowa State and... I'm not in Texas Tech, and I, I have glaring issues with them, but I also could absolutely see, based off the way the Big 12 works out, of a team picked preseason, like 6, 7, 8, 9, making it to Arlington. Now we have 16 teams. Would it shock anyone this year if a team preseason pick number 11 was in Arlington in December playing for the Big 12 title? Because it wouldn't shock me. No, I mean, it wouldn't be a shock. I might not bet on it, but like you look at the last <laughs> few years— I mean, TCU, when they got there and lost to, to K-State, I think they were, what, seventh to start? I mean, Baylor in 2021, nobody gave them a shot after what happened the year prior. I mean, Oklahoma State, they were written off for dead after the start they had last year, and they obviously got beat up pretty bad by Texas, but they still got there. So as far as teams getting to Arlington, like, no, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, somebody from way out on left field ends up making a run. And, you know, I, I think with all that's happened this past year, in the conference landscape. I mean, you have a much better chance of that happening. Somebody being like way, way out there in left field getting compared to, you know, say a seventh or eighth place team. 
there's there's definitely a formula for somebody to really shock some folks along the way. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. And I just like, I mean, rosters still aren't even set. No. Like we, we feel somewhat confident about the quarterbacks in the Big 12. It feels like those are fairly settled. Um, I think this is going to be a, a far better year from quarterback play in the Big 12 this year than it was last year. I'm, I'm still not sure if we need to call this the year the quarterback. I think it's going to be the year the the running back with all the guys coming back. I and mean, I'm seeing people post preseason lists of their top five running backs. And there's like three or four guys left off that list that have an argument for being in the top five running backs in the Big 12 this year. I just, I think the Big 12 is going to be loaded at running back this year across the board with UCF and Oklahoma State and Iowa State and Kansas State and just, and, and Kansas. And it's just like, I, this, the Big 12 is always somewhat unpredictable, right? When OU owned the league, you just picked OU number one, and then it was a someone picked two through nine is going to get to, Ar- to Arlington to face them. Uh, last year, Texas was picked number one, and they got in. Texas and OU were gone. And so it, it definitely feels like what has been an open conference is now the most wide open it's ever been because of all of the different factors. Before we even get to the fact of you have unbalanced schedules again this year, and honestly, they're even more unbalanced because of how many different teams could be good or bad. You've got four other teams you're not familiar with. It's just, I I am so excited for this year. And if you're a Big 12 fan, if you're a college football fan, and you're not excited for the Big 12 in 2024, I don't know what to do for you because, like, every schedule looks exciting to me. No, honestly, I mean, you can make a case that it's just a very exciting year across, you know, the board in college football if you like change. Because, like, to your point, there's so many new matchups in the Big 12. I mean, the first time matchups are going to have in the SEC and Big Ten and even the ACC to an extent. I mean, there's some intrigue. Like, I'll I'll watch, you know, USC play Iowa or Wisconsin out of curiosity. I'll watch Alabama play, you know, Oklahoma out of curiosity. Then you have all these, you know, these matchups here in the Big 12. You know, some of them are rekindled rivalries, whether it be like TCU, Utah, from back in the Mountain West days. I mean, there's a lot to like about. And, you know, I, th- I think just, again – you kind of know still in the other leagues who are going to be the top dogs, but like the big 12 doesn't really have it. And I think that's what in some way sets it apart. And, you know, if you just want good football, that's straight up unpredictable. Like this is your conference, at least in 2024 and probably beyond. So let's kind of dive in on some of these. Um, I assume everyone's seen the schedule. We're not going to break down who's playing who every single week. Let's start with who do you think at this point, based off schedule and expectations for the team, has the best path to Arlington? Because I think there are teams who aren't as good but have their rules schedules. But who do you think right now, looking at the schedules, has are the teams that have the best path to getting to Arlington in December? This burned me last year. I like Texas Tech. I mean, you look at the first half of the schedule, and I mean, it's pretty manageable. You have, what, Abilene, Christian, at Wazoo, which a little unpredictable, but Tech, I think, should win that game. North Texas, Arizona State, Cincinnati. At Arizona, that's a tough one. By Baylor. I mean, you could easily see them being 6-1, and one, in my opinion, if everybody's who we think they are going into that point. But again, the Big 12, so you never know. <laughs> um, and then down the stretch, you have at TCU, at Iowa State, Colorado, by Oklahoma State, at Oklahoma State, uh, West Virginia. So a little bit tougher down the stretch. Um, but I could see the Red Raiders at least starting off hot. And if they can take the momentum into the last half of the schedule, um, they certainly have to like their chances. I think what Coach McGuire has been doing in Lubbock has been great the last two years. And they got some tough injury luck last year again with Tyler Shuck going down. So 
Um, you know, they overcame a lot of adversity last year and finished strong. So if they can start strong and then go all the way, um, I, I think that tech fans can feel good about their odds. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it's just hard to know. I, I feel like tech in some ways stood out to me a little bit more above the rest and an easy path in some ways, but like Arizona, like you think that maybe after they get through Kansas state and Utah, back-to-back -back games early on that's pretty clear but like that's a really tough two-game stretch right there so how they get through that could kind of set the tone and with the change and coaches that's happened there you just don't know how that's going to totally show itself once the games begin so I don't know I mean Texas Tech feels like the pick that I think I would have for an easy schedule and I know I'm not alone in that but again um, you know, last year I thought they were going to be a team to watch and then they start what, like one and three and then got it together. But at that point, the damage was done. So who knows? I got, I, I tried to go through each schedule and to me, I want to look for your like three or in some cases four, like toughest game stretch. Cause like back to back's tough and, and you're going to lose games in the big 12. There's, there's, I, I don't foresee a team going undefeated in, in this in conference this year. No. I just don't think that's realistic. Um, I think your Big 12 champ is probably going to have – is going to have at least one loss. They might have two. They might have three. Like, it's not – it wouldn't be the first time we saw three lost teams in the Big 12 championship game the last couple of seasons. Um, so, I look for three and four game stretches where I'm like, okay, this is tough. And there are a couple of teams where I had a hard time finding what I thought was a truly, like – this is a daunting three-game stretch. Texas Tech was one of them. I think the worst one might be at TCU, at Iowa State, and then Colorado, just because yeah. you have the back-to-back -back there. Oklahoma State, like, then, too, after that, the bye for them. I like, But when it comes after the bye, I'm like, you get a week off. True. Honestly, their toughest stretch is the last two at Iowa, at Oklahoma State and then West Virginia to me. But you get a week off before Oklahoma State. True. Utah. So you're just talking about back-to-back, -back, sure. Yeah, Utah has what Oklahoma at Oklahoma State and Arizona back to back early on, but then there's a bye. Yeah. So I mean that's not really a you know what three four game stretch. Yeah, there really aren't they that are many the... that just stand out. I mean maybe maybe Texas Tech stretch there, but even then I'm not sure it's something that could totally undo them. Um, just because like again we just don't know about so many teams what their true ceiling is, and that's the hard part about yeah. it. I mean Utah is one I I I struggle with a three game stretch. Like if I set the parameter at three games, I mean, I guess I could say they have to start a three-game stretch of at Utah State, then at OSU, then Arizona. But like I don't like Utah State's. It's not. It shouldn't be a difficult game for them. Um, you get at Colorado, Iowa. You get the four games at the end of the year are BYU rivalry game at Colorado, team you beat every year. Iowa State at UCF. So like there's three in four that are difficult. That might be the most difficult stretch because you've got to fit a road game in Colorado in there, but it's not three in a row. Like that, that might be the stretch for Utah at the end of the season. It's just, can you get these last four? Yeah. But then there's one. So like, I think that Kansas has a very favorable schedule. They avoid Arizona, Kansas, OSU, Utah, UCF. They've got Kansas State and West Virginia on the road. But like Kansas's most difficult stretch might be at West Virginia, TCU, at Arizona State. Like I really like the schedule for Kansas State. They start off with a six-game stretch, and then they get a two games, and then they get four. Um, I think that Arizona's is fairly favorable. I think UCF has a fairly favorable schedule as well. Um, if you look at their toughest stretches, what? They have to go but Colorado. They have to go to Florida for non-conference. Florida's having all kinds of problems lately. I mean, Cincinnati at Iowa State. I mean, like nothing yeah. that could undo their Big 12 chances. Like, I, I don't think right. they really have a tough, like – 
all Big 12 slate necessarily right there. I mean, with the buys factored in. And then, like, you look down, like, Colorado and Houston actually have some tough slates. But, again, like, are they going to even contend for the Big 12? I'm not sure. I mean, Colorado has um, – hold on. Texas Tech, Utah, Kansas, Oklahoma State, consecutive yeah. games to end the year. Then Houston has a stretch of Kansas, Utah, Kansas State by – at Arizona. But – that might not matter when it comes to the actual Big 12 race at that point. Yeah, I, I think UCF's got for one. We, we can talk about most difficult stretches because, man, uh, you mentioned it for Houston. At Kansas, Utah, Kansas State, three games is tough. Iowa State. I, we can talk about how good or bad Cincinnati is, but at Kansas, Cincinnati, at Utah, Kansas State, for your last four games of the season yeah, is – they end the season with five games. They're one of the only teams that have five straight to end the year because their first bye comes all the way week, week two. Texas Tech at Kansas, Cincinnati at Utah, Kansas State. That is a difficult five-game stretch to end the year, especially when you're going to go to Utah and, and go to Kansas. Like I, And you have to end the season, now it's at home, but with Farmageddon. Like that's a, that's a pretty tough five game stretch. And it's one of the reasons I have Iowa State as like a dark horse for this year and not as a contender. Kansas, the one thing there, I'm curious how, you know, or, sorry, Iowa State rather, but the Kansas game, you know, that, that game's going to be at Arrowhead Stadium too with the construction going on. So like you wonder how that'll kind of impact the, the fan attendance. Maybe it'll be kind of a neutral site, you know, filling game because you're not that far from either fan base at all, really. Obviously, you'd think the KU would have the edge. Because you're, you're right there around the corner, but like Iowa State fans can show up to that game, and then even back to kind of to back back to some other quirks like the Kansas State schedule. You know they had Arizona early, but that's a non-conference game too because they already had the game set, and then realignment happened. So kind of adding in the K State's favorable schedule. On the other hand, there, there's a lot of weird quirks that will take some getting used to this year, but makes it all much more fun. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, TCU has a stretch of four games of at Utah, Texas Tech, at Baylor, Oklahoma State. So you got to go to Utah, which is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. You get back-to-back. Texas Tech, technically not a rivalry, but it's still an in-state, you know, air quote rivalry. Then you get an actual rivalry game on the road. I don't care how good or bad Baylor is. That's always a tough rivalry game. And then you got to place Oklahoma State. Now, you've got a good record against Oklahoma State and you get them at home. But it's still, like, that is a four-game stretch that is tough. Well, TCU has 11 power opponents this year. I mean, I know SMU's no yeah. Nothing new, but like still, they, they don't <laughs> have we, many. Can we air quote <laughs> SMU? Well, and look, I thought that would you get UCF at SMU at Kansas as a three games early in the season. Like it is a rivalry game on the road, even if it's not that far away. That is a that's not the easiest three game stretch early in the season. No, figured. It I out. mean they, they've they've been close. The games have been close. You know, last what? Well, I guess not last year, but twenty twenty two. I mean, it was still close till the end. TCU got off to a good start, then SMU kind of worked its way back. The year prior, obviously, SMU won in Fort Worth. And two years before that, there wasn't a game in 2020, SMU won in Fort Worth. So, like, it's not a game anymore that's a gimme by any means. Um, I mean, honestly, I was a little surprised how easy it came for TCU last year in some ways. I think that SMU has a lot of things going for them. But, again, like, going from what they've had in the, you know, AAC to now the ACC, like, how are they going to handle that? Who the heck knows? But... I'll, I'll stop there when it comes to SMU talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, two of the most difficult stretches I think in conference play this year are Oklahoma State has three games to start conference play. They've got to face Utah, go to Kansas State, and then face West Virginia. Um, 
That is having to start Big 12 play with Utah and Kansas State back-to-back, with the second one being on the road. That might be the meanest thing the Big 12 schedulers did to anyone, is putting the two most arguably physical and brutal teams in back-to-back weeks, and then you can replace a West Virginia team who I think will still be pretty spicy. It is a front-loaded schedule for OSU, but if they make it through those three weeks at 2-1 and at worst, you got to feel real good as an OSU fan with a bye coming up to try and lick your wounds and heal up. If you were going to the Morgantown, that would be that'd be something else. Oh, I'll, man, that'd be brutal. I'll say, like, West Virginia, they're going to be maybe a little bit beat up because they have Penn State week one, and they have their backyard brawl week three, and then Kansas. So, like, they, they have some, you know, tough games. And then they have a bye also right before that game. So they have a rest, I guess. So who knows? It, it's definitely a game where you could see it going either way, given uh, what happens. I'm glad you mentioned West Virginia. They get three four-game sets, which looks nice. Um, they also play 11 Power 5. And real, 11 real Power 5, not SMU, now a Power 5 <laughs> by, by name only. West Virginia has, to me, the most difficult stretch of games right smack in the middle of the season. They come off of a nine week. They go to Oklahoma State. Then they face Iowa State, Kansas State, and then go to Arizona. I don't think anyone has a, based off of preseason expectations, a more difficult four-game stretch in the Big 12. Like, that is the make-or-break-their-season stretch right there. I'd agree. I mean, give them credit, too. I was thinking about it. Like, they they routinely had multiple Power 5 non-conference opponents the last, what, like five, six years in a row. I think one game was canceled for, like, a hurricane one time. But, like, they get they, they obviously had Penn State and uh, Pitt last year. They've had Virginia Tech in previous years. Um, I want to say NC State, like Tennessee was the same year. I think one of those was canceled, the NC State game. But like, again, to the point, like they are very proactive when it comes to challenging themselves, you know, in non-conference. And obviously with the Big 12 being what it is, like that's a lot to have that plus that. So um, like give them credit for, you know, taking the path that not many might travel when you can just schedule cupcakes and get your way in the playoff. But yeah, like that, that four game stretch, it's definitely going to be, be one to watch. And, you know, last year you saw them get off to a hot start and then things kind of tapered off a little bit. So might it be the same, the same story? I don't know, but uh, definitely, you know, after seeing last year from them go to pick last to getting to what nine wins, like they're, they're one to watch. I'm not going to underestimate them this time. No, absolutely not. Um, One weird schedule quirk. Like you want to try and be able to face teams off of their idle week when you're also coming off of one, right? Um, Texas Tech has to face four teams this season when they are coming off of a week off. They have Baylor on October 19th, and then it's at Iowa State on November 2nd, Colorado on November 9th, and then at Oklahoma State on November 23rd. They're the only, I think there's only one other team that has like a couple teams that have three, but to have four games where you're facing a team coming off of week of rest, like it can vary by team. Some teams are great off of an idle week. Some teams aren't as great, but to have to face four of them throughout the season is I think a huge disadvantage to Baylor, especially when they're all coming like later in the season. Yeah, no, I mean, that's something that you think about really off the top of your head. And it's hard to kind of, I guess, I guess, you know, see it on the matrix that we have in front of us with all the, the grids. But, but yeah, I mean, has that ever happened before lately? I can't even think of something. And again, I haven't monitored it, but like that is a really good point that I hadn't even thought about, honestly, um, for somebody to have I that had, many rest of teams some, that they face in one year. I spent some time 
figuring it out. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I don't, I mean, without going back and looking previously, I don't know if anyone's ever had to do that many before. Like I've two or three makes sense. And like I said, there's a few teams with three. When you have this many teams in a conference, like it's going to be tough. I think there's three teams that only have to face a team once. Uh, Oh yeah. Kansas State, Baylor, and Cincinnati only face one team off on idle week. And they will all also be coming off the week off when that happens. So Kudos to Kansas State, Baylor, and Cincinnati. Uh, the Big 12 scheduling uh, folks did you a favor there. <laughs> Not Texas Tech so much. Um, we've gone to who we think has got a nice path to Arlington. We've gone through some of the toughest schedules in three-game stretches. I mean, coming in with our way-too-early preseason expectations and then looking at the schedule, is there anyone's schedule you look at and go, I considered them a contender for the big 12 before the schedule came out. And now I don't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think to like changing expectations, I think maybe Arizona because of the coaching change, I think we were all in on them as maybe a big 12 favorite before Jed fish left. And then with all of that, you know, but with all the one down there, it's like, okay, you know, do you still have the same momentum that you had with the new coaching staff? And they did keep some good players, you know, to their credit, but I think that is a team where it's like, okay, you know, is it really going to match what we've said it is? And it's, you know, understandable if there is a little bit of regression um, because, you know, year one of the coaching regime is never easy. Now, TCU obviously had their run two years ago uh, under a first-year coach. But, you know, like having, again, Kansas State and Utah and if Texas Tech is good, you know, in the first three Big 12 games, um, that certainly could add to the challenge. And this game is momentum so often. So I think that if you do – have some hiccups early on, you know, it's like, how do you recover? Um, I wouldn't say that, that the schedule has totally just changed anybody alone in terms of my expectations. We already knew who was facing who a few months ago. So we had an idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, if, if there were more, I guess, stretches that we could have found where it's like, okay, four games in a row where it could really undo you, then maybe, but I feel like for the most part, nobody's schedule was just like totally unmanageable. Um, but again, like we can only know so much about who's who right now. So we could look like fools, you know, in six months from now when the games are played, which is, you know, again, the pitfall of trying to make any prediction about the Big 12 right now in the winter. Every single person who has to make predictions about the Big 12 will have egg on their face about at least one team. And that's that's fine. And if that fan base wants to come at us about it, you're welcome to do so. I, I took it from West Virginia fans. That's fine. I was wrong. I'm, I'm willing to admit it. Um, for for Arizona, I mean, look, of the six contenders, they play four of them, like three, three on the road, like going to Kansas State, going to Utah, going to UCF. And, and so, like, you got to go to Kansas State. And, and, and having Kansas State in that non-conference game on the road, I do think just makes things tougher. They – they have a week off between Kansas State and Utah, but you do have to go to Kansas State and go to Utah in, in back-to-back games, even with mm-hmm. a week off in the middle. So I, I am, with the coaching change, like my expectations for Arizona are more like among the contenders than like should be auto preseason number one. The other one would be Colorado. Um, I, I think they've got it very tough. Of the teams I have marked as my contenders arizona kansas kansas state osu utah ucf and west virginia i'm gonna put those as my like preseason we're keeping an eye on they play six of them they play arizona kansas and ucf on the road they get kansas state osu and utah at home they have west virginia is the only one of those they don't play 
And then I'm trying to remember, does, does Colorado play? They, Colorado has to also play. They have to go to Texas Tech among the teams we think could be a contender. Yeah, and then they also go like, in non-conference, they go to Nebraska and go to Colorado State, which, you know, rivalry games. So that could take a toll on them depending on how they respond from last year's games too, obviously. So it's like, what are they going to look like going into the Big 12 slate too after you have games that they can win, I think, but like, they're also rivalry games and they're going to be passionate, you know, games that could go down to the wire. And I mean, look, Dion's Dion. Teams are going to be revved up to beat you. You've got a difficult schedule. It's, and there's not a, I mean, there's not a like, oh, here's our breath spot. Here's the part where you got to go to Texas Tech, then you get Utah, then you go to Kansas, then you get Oklahoma State. That last four games, I, I like, if, I, if they're not bowl eligible before the last four games of the season, they might struggle to get there again this year. And I do think Colorado will be better this year. But, like, it's just – it's going to be a really tough schedule. Oh, by the way, they open with North Dakota State. And I understand yeah, they're dealing right. with some coaching changes there. It's still North Dakota State. Oh, and bravo to Oklahoma State. I'm not going to – I can't hammer this enough. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to open your season against the now two-time defending FCS national champs. <laughs> and then Arkansas, which who the heck knows if there will be any – any good this year afterwards, but it's still an SEC team, you know. It's it's still a, a talented program, and you got to go on the road to Tulsa in week three in non-conference, where you have had close near losses with Tulsa the last few times you played them. Like, and then you, I, 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 OSU between South Dakota State, Arkansas at Tulsa, Utah at Kansas State, West Virginia. That six games to start the season. I mean, good. I, I oh, man. Like I know as you fans are already well aware of South Dakota State in the schedule being like, look, I know they're going to lose a lot from the team that's won the back-to-back. It's still, this is a team that struggled out the gate in the past few years. <laughs> they didn't, OSU didn't do themselves any favor. The Big 12 didn't do OSU any favors with the schedule. No. Back to Colorado. Right. It's fun seeing them kind yeah. of get to see some old Big 8 Big 12 friends again after all these years too. I guess you have what, Kansas State, Baylor, really, really Kansas State and Kansas and Oklahoma State, if you want to go back to the Big 8 days, but it's another kind of element to think about with their schedule that already has Nebraska on it, too. So, yeah. We'll, we'll see how yeah, that factors in. I mean, the players don't really probably care about that as much as the fans do, but it's still a fun thing to think about. Nebraska, Kansas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. So they got four. I'm, I, am, uh, I am convinced someone needs to find the old Big 8 trophy, and whichever former Big 8 team in the Big 12 like has the best winning percentage amongst the others gets to take the Big 8 trophy home. For I love season. it. I I just like come on. Let, let's let's play up the Colorado's back. There's there's only now there's five of the original eight in the conference. Like let's let's play up the history here. Let's get our Big 8 trophy out. I need to, I need to see it. Some, it's got to be somewhere. I feel like it's in somebody's uh it's like in Dan Beebe's garage somewhere underneath some some unused old stained golf towels or something uh as a as a bookmark or just having some stuff hung on it but we need to find the old Big 8 football trophy and get it back into circulation I'm all for it if only the Southwest conference made sense too but not quite enough teams I think now at this point to to warrant that but but hey I like it. Two split up now. Two split up for Southwest Conference. Dean, always appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Do me a favor. Where can everybody check out the work you do covering college football? Yeah. CBSSports.com. You probably heard about it before, but uh, we're there. <laughs> we'll be there for uh, for the whole off season. So, yeah, come come get your content. It's there.
Social Podcast Network.